Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. John, how can I help you? Yes, sir. I live in Richardson, Texas. My house, Pier and Beam, it's probably uh, 65 years old. And like a lot of my neighbors here, uh, I get water underneath my pier and beam. Sometimes it's pretty severe. Uh, last fall, I think I pumped out about 5,500 gallons of water wow. underneath my foundation. And my question to you is, uh, I guess, two-pronged. Uh, what I've done is I've improved the drainage on the uh, north east corner of my house to where because my whole backyard slopes to the northeast corner of my house uh-huh. and and i got really good drainage now but i'm just wondering uh is, is that a problem where the water where the ground gets super saturated and it leaks into the house or uh i mean it's better now than it was i've been piling some dirt up around the foundation Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too high. Somebody said if you get the dirt up to the bricks, that can be a problem. Well, that that starts bringing in termites then. Okay. Uh, so they, typically, you, know, people... you want to keep about four inches of the foundation showing. So about four inches below the brick is what you're okay. looking for. Okay. Now, uh, when you say you're still getting some water, how long does it stay under there after we have big rain? Oh, maybe a week. Okay. Yeah, sick, that's... Or, you know, I, I don't really ever have a problem until I get, you know, the heavy rains we've had, like five or six inches at a time. Right. If I get two or three inches of rain, it's no problem. It's, yeah. Uh, it's when, it, when I really get a tsunami that happens. Uh, yeah. And, so and you know, people getting, talk to me getting about the... gutters. People have talked to me about putting a sump pump under the house. Uh, right now, all I've done is improve the drainage and, and you know, pack the dirt up against the sure. foundation. And getting some water underneath the house, it's going to happen. And if it dissipates, you know, in, an, in a few hours, that's not anything to worry about. When it starts sitting there a week, though, yeah, that can become an issue because uh, not only does it change the makeup on the soil, but it puts too much humidity underneath there that can cause wood rot and things like that. So... Yeah, definitely you want to tr- do something to get that water out quicker than that. Now, whether you can do something else with the drainage or just put in a sump to take it out, uh, you know, obviously without looking at it, I can't say for sure which way to go. But typically, if you're getting that kind of moisture from those heavy rains, it's usually water that's traveling through the soils. And so you got one of two ways. You either put that sump or you put a French drain in that actually captures the subsurface water before it goes under the foundation. Yeah, I'm not sure I've got enough of a slope. To, you have to have a pretty good slope to put a French drain in, don't you? Well, you either have to have a slope or you have to put a sump pit at the end to oh, okay. and have a pump to pump it out. Gotcha, okay. And, and if you're doing that, you can a lot of times have not only the French drain on the outside, but you can put a catch basin on the inside and let that drain into that sump as well so that, you know, you catch it on both ends to, to eliminate the problem completely. Okay. And, I, you know, I don't really, the problem I've got, I'm not sure that gutters are going to help me that much. Because uh, I think 
most of the water. <clears throat> like I said, I've got a pretty good slope in my backyard that goes to the northeast corner of the house. Right. And I mean, it's a, it's a small stream out there as far as the drainage. You know, when it really heavy rain. Uh huh. I'm not sure that the the water that's coming off the roof is my real problem. If the water's not ponding next to the house, yes, sir. then typically gutters are not going to solve that problem. Okay. Because all it's going to do is come down uh, through the, you know, through the downspouts, and, and you're still going to have the water in the yard. Yeah. Well, my house is so old that some of the uh, air conditioning returns down there, you know, originally they were off the ground. Right. But now now they're touching. sitting on the ground, and that bothers me. Yeah. All right, I appreciate your help, sir. You bet. Tom in McKinney. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thanks, Jim. Uh, my question to you is, what are your thoughts on attic uh, solar uh, fans? They are my second most favorite way to ventilate an attic. My first is ridge fence, and my second is the solar-powered attic fans. Make sure you don't use the ones that have to plug into 110. You want to use the solar-powered ones, but they work extremely well. The only thing you have to watch is that you don't get one that has too high a CFM. Uh, if you get the, you know, the, if you get where it's moving too much air, it can't draw enough through your soffit fence and stuff, and it will literally start drawing air from inside the home. I got you. Okay. Uh, who do you recommend to install those? Oh, Arrington Roofing. Okay. And you can okay. reach them at 214-698-8443. Let them come out and take a look at it because they're actually, uh, you know, Chris Arrington is a degreed uh, architect, and he does uh -huh. a lot of attic ventilation. Uh, he can really help you out with that. Sounds great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. You bet. Take care. Kay, how can I help you today? I have a, a water heater that's acting up. At times, the water is real hot, and then as, as you run it a while, it cools off. Um, anyway, uh, at other times, it's not heating at all. Does that sound like it's going out or some kind of problem that could be fixed? This is an older water heater, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, what's happening is uh, it, it is getting time to replace it. Uh, uh -huh. It's gotten f uh, enough debris or enough se sediment in the bottom yeah. of it now uh -huh. that it, it's just no longer got the capacity that it once had, and the recovery time has taken has uh, gone up so much that it just plain can't keep up. Okay, thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye your show. Thank you, Kay. You take care. Yeah. And, you know, th you hear me tell people all the time, don't replace the water heater till you start having a problem with it. That right there is the problem I'm talking about. When it can't recover fast enough like it used to, it's got enough sediment in it, it's time to for for give up that unit, get a new one. And let's face it, water heaters are not that expensive. You know, I uh, was, with, was, was with my parents and... Uh, looking at some houses, and the realtor was making a big deal out of the, the new water heater. And even Mom said, I don't understand why they always make such a big deal out of the water heaters being new. They're, they're not that expensive to get, and they're really not. I mean, I'm not saying they're cheap by any means of the imagination, but 
when you're looking at a house, the cost of the water heater, let's face it, is a lot of times just a small piece of it. Uh, use the water heaters, though, until they start acting up. Then it's time to get rid of it and get a new one. Typically, you're going to get somewhere 10 to 15 years out of a water heater. Anything beyond that, you're on borrowed time. Edna in Arlington, how can I help you? Yes, sir. I have a popcorn ceiling, and it's about a 12-foot ceiling, and about 12, 10 to 12 inches, all of a sudden just start coming loose. Uh-huh. It's above the fireplace, and I think it stopped. I don't think there's any more than 10 inches or 12. And then in the office in the corner, I also have a smaller area. So is that because I have a roof leaking, or is that something else? It's it's age. It was The house was probably built in the 70s, wasn't it? I think so, huh? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a common problem. As it ages, uh, it starts coming loose from the sheetrock, and it will mm-hmm. literally just start falling off. And mm-hmm. what you, and I hate to even tell you this, but the, the fix is going to be you can either patch it back in, which mm-hmm. can be done very easily, and it looks fine, Mm-hmm. But you're going to find that other areas will start falling as well. And mm-hmm. so what you'll end up doing is scraping it all off and retexturing the entire ceiling, whether you go back with the popcorn or go back with, you know, one of the new uh, orange peel looks or something. But I will tell you, the houses built in the 70s, they tended to, they were experimenting with going 24-inch on centers with the ceiling joists and wall studs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those uh, sheetrock ceilings have little sags in them that you won't see until you take off that popcorn. The mm. popcorn hides a multitude of sins. On my oh. own house, I, I took it off. Now, that I did this uh, 13 or 14 years ago, and uh-huh. I was going to actually go back with a, a different texture. But when I started looking at what it was going to take to do it, I, I actually went back with the popcorn again because... Uh, to, to smooth it out enough to be able to, to put the splatter look on it and have it look right uh-huh. was more than I was willing to do. Okay, so probably just go back with the popcorn to hide all the sins, huh? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's about the size of it. Now, you, you can check it first, scrape, you know, after it's scraped off and, and look at it because, you know, if, if you got a nice flat ceiling, then there's no reason not to put a different one up there. No, and quite honestly, the same equipment is used whether you go with the splatter look or you go with the popcorn. Okay. No, it's not a it's not a flat roof at all. Yeah. No, I'm I'm saying a, a nice flat sheetrock ceiling oh. there. Yeah. And now where that area, that about ten inch area, I see the sheetrock has a little crack in it too. Hmm. Well, I'm wondering if something didn't push on it up there. Could it be a, a thing with a roof? Did I have a leak? No, because if it was a water leak, it would be discolored. Oh. Okay. Yeah, you would definitely see that. Oh, it's your discoloration. Okay. Yep. Huh. Okay. All righty then. Uh, just go back with the popcorn and probably be the safest or patch it for a while and see what happens. I would patch it for a while and, and, and then you know, if it, it happens again, then you can take a look at replacing it. And do I need to get a, a, a roofer to do the patching or just... No, ma'am. Just a, a, a painter typically can do it for you. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You bet, it. Edna. You take care. You know, one of the important things you got to do is make sure that the contractors you deal with are carrying insurance. 
and that they're doing things the way it's supposed to be. I brought this up a few weeks ago that there was a foundation repair contractor who got nailed for not paying properly their employees. And uh, basically, they were paying them as day laborers. Well, you have to pay overtime when it's over 40 hours. You can't just pay day pay. Now, this week, another company got hit. The first one got hit for $682,000 in back pay and penalties. The one this week got hit for another 100000 These are serious things. And you may think you're getting a bargain when you hire one of these contractors, but if they're not doing things right on the government end, why do you think they're going to do it right for you on your home? And not to mention the fact that if they are shortcutting on the government end and they get it put out of business over it, where goes the warranties on your home? And this can be in any industry, whether it's foundation repair, laying floors, doing sheetrock work, a roof, anything. You want to make sure the companies you're dealing with are doing things the right way. So... You know, take that to heart. Check out their insurances and check out how they pay their employees and things to, to make sure that the rules are being followed. Let's talk with Doug and Tomball. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. I've got some issues with my air conditioning uh, ductwork. Uh, uh -huh. In the upstairs bedroom, we noticed uh, what appeared to be mold on the vent where the air comes out of. Okay. We took we took off the vent cover and looked up, and we can definitely see mold going up into the ductwork. Now, it happens to be about, I went up into the attic, it happens to be about a four-and-a-half-foot section of ductwork before it joins into the box of the upstairs unit uh, where all the duct connects. Uh, okay. So I didn't know if it's, if it's growing mold, would you think, in the other areas? It's the only vent cover we've seen it on, um, and, and would it be cheaper just to replace that four and a half foot foot duck uh, to solve my problem. Well, that's really not going to solve the problem because the main reason it's going to grow mold like that is uh, the airflow is not right, the humidity levels are going too high, and therefore it's allowing it to grow. So it needs okay. it needs more work done to it than just replace that duck. Gotcha. Okay. So what are what are you thinking needs to take place there uh, to solve my problem? Well, I think the first thing, uh, a load calculation would have to be done to make sure that everything is getting the proper flow. Okay. Uh, which is not that big a deal for a, a good AC company to do. Uh, and then it can be addressed. It may be nothing more than having to put dampers on to change the airflow a little bit. Okay, okay. Especially yeah, since the plenum box is right there. Gotcha. We had a guy out from the the home warranty company. He checked it out. He definitely said... Uh, that a little bit of mold had reached that, that metal box. I'm not sure what you call the metal box. Uh, where all yeah, the, the plenum. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, he said there was just a little bit in there is all he could tell. So do you think that might be a, a problem in, in any of my other ducts? Absolutely. If, if it's into the plenum box, it's going everywhere, and that tells me that there's, that there's something in the system not flowing properly and taking care of the mold issue. Okay. And, uh, you know, the, the problem with these home warranty companies is they pay these guys to get out just as dirt cheap as they can. He didn't address your problem. No. 
and you need to get somebody out there who's going to address the problem. Next is Sam. How are you today? I have a question for you. Uh, I want to give you a scenario, and you tell me what you would do in order. Okay. Uh, your house, uh, first of all, you dropped your flood insurance, but during all this rain, you got four inches of house in your brick ha- four inches of water in your brick house. Okay. Okay. Where would you start? Obviously, the water has to come down. Right. You got to get and, the water levels down. You got to get uh, the water out. Right. Cut the cut the sheetrock off on the bottom. If you got baseboard, get it removed. Uh huh. And get it to get the wall cavity exposed. Right. Then get okay. the dehumidifiers going to get everything dried out. If the uh, and if the insulation's not drying out quick enough, cut that insulation off. Take it out because you can always put more insulation back in. Okay. Okay. So uh, what happens? Uh, if you were told to evacuate and uh, it's been sitting there for a week, do you have to worry about mold back up in behind that sheetrock? Yeah, but when you start cutting off the sheetrock, uh-huh. you'll be able to see if that's there or not. Okay. So uh, if you only got four inches, would you say, uh, I know sheetrock's four by eight, would you like take it two foot up or something like that, even though it's only been six inches? Say that again now. If if uh, you know sheetrock is four by eight sheets, right? Uh, how far up would you cut it if you only had uh, six inches of water? Oh, I would only go up like this, the six or eight inches. Oh, really? You wouldn't yeah. take it up, let's say, half a sheet. Of no, there, there really shouldn't be any reason to go that high. You might end up going a foot up. Okay. But that would be it. Okay. All right. Okay, that's what I was wanting to know. Now, you've been out of the house for a week already? Has the water levels gone down? It's finally going down. Okay. Now, I would go up probably four inches above where the water level was so that I can see my insulation, see what's on the backside of the sheetrock and stuff. And you may have to go higher if you do start seeing some molds and mildews. Before you build back, let everything dry out real good. Spray uh-huh. everything down with bleach, all the wood and everything, uh-huh. so that if there is anything on there, you kill it. Or you can put something on it like uh, you know, wet and forget, spray and forget, any of those enzyme-type products that eat the mold and mildews. Okay. But once, once you, you stop the moisture source, the molds and mildews will die off on their own. The spores may still be in there, so the next time it got too humid, they would start growing again. And But, you know, if you spray it down with something that's going to kill it, then you don't have to worry about that happening either. Okay, so, so uh, but if you got sheetrock in your outer walls, yep. I mean, you've got insulation in your outer walls, and you, let's say, go up a, a foot, like you were saying, yeah. and pull out that bottom, that foot of insulation, you really can't see back up in that wall, but chances are you you shouldn't have anything in there, should you? Unless Correct. I, I'm really I'm really not worried about the sheetrock. I mean, I'm not worried about the insulation have them having the mold problem. It's the uh-huh. it's the backside of the sheetrock that you got to worry about. Right, right. Uh, but it's pressed up against the backside of the sheetrock, though. Right. You know. Yeah. And you really can't see. No, but when you cut the twelve inches off, if you still got a lot of mold on the backside, you know to go higher. Okay, I got you. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Good luck with that. Okay. Bye-bye.
Bye bye. And, and I guess I'm, I'm going to throw this out. One other thing that you can do is actually before you build build it all back, or you can do it after building back, but raise that structure up off the ground. I know it's expensive, but you know when you when you're dropping your flood insurance and you're dealing with these kind of expenses, how many times can you do this before you would have paid to have the whole thing raised? And just cost-effective wise, because when you raise a structure like that, you do run the risk of breaking plumbing. The sweet spot is two foot. And the reason I say that, if you only go six inches and you and you got to do a lot of digging to get to all the plumbing in order to cut the pipes loose and extend it. When you go two feet, you end up with enough space that somebody can actually get in there and do the work that's needed. So that's the sweet spot on raising one, two feet or more. Uh, Father's Day is coming up next weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about some gift ideas. In fact, why don't we do that right now? You know, if you're looking for something for Father's Day, I mean, there's some great things out there that virtually everybody can use. Okay, screwdrivers. You never have enough screwdrivers. They're always getting lost. They're always being used for things they shouldn't be used and getting broke. Uh, if you got Phillips screwdrivers, the tips always kind of get worn down on them. So you, you, screwdriver sets are always great. Cordless tools. I mean, you can never have enough. We all think about cordless tools as being the drill, but you got the cordless saw, the little skill saw. And if you're doing any type of finish work, let me tell you, those thin blades that are on the cordless tools, they are great. They make some just wonderful cuts. Sawzalls, power lights, uh, little vacuums, all the different things that you can get with the cordless tools makes it so easy and quick to use those tools and then of course toolboxes you how can you have enough toolboxes because you can always use more tools which means you need more toolboxes so there's a list of gifts that you can go pick up at ace hardware at your box stores at sears i mean just about any place will carry these kind of tools and if you're looking for some cordless tools or screwdrivers things like that take a look at craftsman tools they got great warranties on them. They hold up very well. And they're easy to get replaced if you have an issue. Because both Ace Hardware and Sears carries Craftsman tools. Steve, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, Jim, I'm looking at uh, restaining my backyard fence. And I'm just wondering, yeah. is it do we need to sand it down first and then power wash and then stain it? Or what's, what's the easiest and correct way to, uh, to restain an outdoor fence? Okay, if it's an outdoor fence, normally it doesn't have a, uh, uh, anything that needs to be sanded off. It's usually just a stain that was and sealer that was applied to it. So uh -huh. you usually can just pressure wash it lightly. You don't want to get too heavy because, you know, if you if you go at it with a forty five hundred psi pressure washer, you'll cut the wood. Right. So you you can use one that size, but you got to stay back further. But uh, pressure wash it, clean it up real good. Go ahead and stain it and seal it. Okay. All right. Well, that was my question, man. I appreciate it. Now, and, and I will tell you that uh, I've used the product from Olympia, Olympic, rather. Uh, I typically get around five years before I have to redo it. So that, that may be a product you want to take a look at using. Uh, my least favorite is Thompson's uh, because it's wax-based. It tends to dissipate too quick. 
So I, I look for ones that are not wax base. Sherry, welcome to KRLD. Hi there. Thank you so much. I have a question about our pool deck. Um, it's concrete, and we bought the house two years ago, and it had some cracks in it, and so we're looking to redo it now. Um, we've looked at the just overcoating it uh, or taking it all out and relaying it. It's a, just under 1,000 square feet of concrete, and I've gotten estimates everywhere from 13000 to 22000 to take it out. And I got one estimate for about 7000 to skim coat it. And I don't know, is it worth the investment? I don't know how much better it is for resale in a few years if we go ahead and invest in taking it out or just skim coating it. How big are the cracks? Uh, the cracks are pretty big. We only have one that's shifting, and it's, it's uh, shifted about a little over a quarter of an inch from plate to plate. Okay. So um, there's only one of those, and it's one section. In theory, that could be taken out, but then they say they don't want to take out and relay because they might the plates themselves might shift against the other ones. Uh, there's so many terms. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. If you overcoat it, whatever mm-hmm. cracks are in the concrete now will yep. come through that overlay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. And the, the overlays running, the quotes are like, six to seven thousand but taking it all out and and this is going to sound crazy but there is such a wide difference in in the cost for the same product and i was just i was shocked that we got one well are you sure it's are you sure it's the same product though well they're saying they're coming and taking it out one is a um you concrete and it's all just cool deck to go back on Uh top um so i haven't gotten like the stamped concrete or the anything like that i wasn't going super special well, here's the difference, though. There's a difference, uh, one, in the strength of concrete. I mean, typically you're going to use a 3,000 PSI concrete. Okay. But the reinforcing can make a difference. A lot okay. of companies will bid to come back with a wire mesh. Uh, some companies will bid to come back with rebar. Rebar is going, to cost, is going to cost a little more, but it's going to do a much better job. Those cracks that you're seeing where things are separating... If you mm-hmm. have rebar on there, you typically don't have that problem. Not that it won't crack, but it typically won't separate. The problem with wire mesh, whether it's a sidewalk, a patio, driveways, pool decks, doesn't matter. When they lay the concrete, they're typically walking on it a little bit. When they walk on it, that wire mesh is in small grids. It gets pushed right. to the bottom of the concrete, and a lot of times even under the concrete. Rebar... Mm is typically put in in 12 to 16 inch grids it's heavier it's put up on chairs it stays up because you can walk between those grids and not push it down under the concrete so mm. that does take a little longer to put in but it, like i say it does a much better job for you and that can so be I need to part ask, of the difference is yeah they didn't tell me so i need to ask if it's rebar mesh and um is it is it really worth the $20,000 investment to redo? I mean, does it return? I just don't know if it returns or not. No, it does it not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> now, okay. and, and then, of course, if you're hiring a contractor, the other big difference in pricing that you got to look for is are they yeah. carrying insurance and are they using their own employees or are they subbing everything out? Okay. A company who's okay. not carrying insurance can do it for a heck of a lot less than a company carrying insurance. But back on, on your question as far as cost, you know, is, is it going to increase value? 
yeah. What you have right now, I'm just going to throw out a, a, a round number to work with. Let's say it's worth $100,000. That, that, yeah. The whole property is $100,000. Mm-hmm. And you redo all that concrete, you spend the $16,000 on it, Yeah. and now you can sell the house for $101,000. Okay, wow. <laughs> it's a cosmetic that, thing yeah. that's going to affect you. The overlay, to be honest with you, the overlay will probably be a better buy for you if you're thinking about selling the house. If they're going to well, overlay it, yeah. have them epoxy the joint, for, you know, the crack first. Yes. Yeah. And then they, they, they can they do the overlay. In, yeah, they said they would come in and grind, fill the cracks, Yep. and then um, overlay. Yeah. Okay. Money-wise, if you're really thinking about selling the house in the next few years, that's your better bargain. Yep. I appreciate your help so much. No problem. Take care. Bill, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Good afternoon, sir. Got a question for you about the foundation. Okay. I was gone... For a few months last summer, I came home and uh, had a crack down w- one corner of my house, and it was probably pushing an inch at the very top of the brick. And this winter, and with the rains and everything, that crack has almost sealed itself back up. Yep. Will it this summer, e- even with soaker hoses, will that crack come back? And should I? Okay. Should I try to get that fixed before I put my house up for sale? How big is the tree in the in the area there? The tree in the area is oh probably thirty foot tall. Okay. And is about fifteen, maybe fifteen foot from the house. Yep. I th- what you know since the crack closed up with the with the rains and everything. It tells me you really probably don't need piers at this time. What you need is preventative maintenance to keep this from happening again. Okay. The tree takes a tremendous amount of so- moisture out of the soils during the summer months when we're not getting a lot of rain. Yes, sir. So the minute these rains shut off, that house is going to start moving again. But if you put in a root barrier, which severs the tree roots between the tree and the house, they're no longer taking the moisture out, and then you keep those soaker hoses going... You won't need foundation repair. Okay. So in the in the process of placing this edging, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm going to cut, as I find roots, I'll just go ahead and cut them th- three feet Well, three when you put in a house. root barrier, you're digging a trench three foot deep. Okay. And dropping a barrier in the ground so that the roots don't just grow back again. Okay. But it doesn't hurt the tree to cut. Oh no! It's going up underneath the foundation. No, because you're, you're you're really only cutting tip on most trees when you put in a root barrier. You're only cutting about twenty percent of the roots on the on the tree. Okay. Uh, and, and so the, the you know, as long as the tree is kept trimmed and stuff, it'll be just fine. All right, sir. And to go back to the uh, soaker hoses. Uh huh. I've been I've got soaker hoses on it right now, but how far from the foundation? Is one supposed to put those things? Oh, 12 to 18 inches. Oh, okay. I've got mine about 6 inches. Yeah, it's not going to hurt anything at 6 inches. Okay. If uh, I've got, if you go to our website, thipro.com. T-H-I? Uh, T is in Texas. H-I. Okay, sir. 
and pro.com, there is a link to Due West Foundation Repair. And I'm, I'm actually, me and my brother own Due West, and I've got some written instructions on there how to do it yourself, water with the soaker hoses. There's a little uh, video clip of how to put the soaker hoses in and all that stuff. But here's the key things. You got to put a pressure regulator on it. City pressure is too high. You get more water at the beginning of the hose than you do at the end. Yes, sir. So put a regulator, drop that city pressure down to about 20 PSI. Second thing is put it on a timer because you're not going to go out there and turn it on and off twice a day like it needs to be. You run it 15 minutes twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. So you're giving it just a little bit of moisture on a regular basis. You'll keep the soils expanded and you'll avoid this problem. Fantastic. I thought I was going to give your uh, foundation company some business. Well, if you want us to put the root shield in, we'll do that for you. All right, sir. And if you need a, if you want to put in a regular drip irrigation system, we do that as well. Okay, so I just call your company during the yep. week. Yeah, you can call us at uh, 972-406-0912. Okay, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Bill, have a good one. Hello, Mike. Hey, Jim, how are you? All right. How can hey, I help good. you? Hey, hey, first of all, thanks for taking the call. Oh, no uh, problem. Tim, about 12 years ago, I bought a house that needed foundation work uh, repair and was done by a company that is now out of business or has filed bankruptcy. Do I have any recourse whatsoever? No. None whatsoever? Nope. When you're hiring a foundation contractor or any other contractor, you really got to check out the company and know who you're dealing with, you know, how long they've been in business. There are some foundation companies that I know of that are actually on their fifth name. I know a handful of them where they're on their third name. They open up, they do a, a bunch of work. When the warranties start getting to them, they just close up and open up under another name, and there ain't a darn thing anybody can do to them. Wow. So basically I bought this house with a guarantee that the foundation work would be guaranteed by the Secretary of State, but have no recourse. Well, the Secretary of State didn't guarantee it. Well, the state of Texas apparently did. Guar guaranteed the work? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was given a, a, some sort of a letter that says that this work will be guaranteed and I will have a guarantee as long as this company is around. Right. Wow. All right, well, hey, thank you. Now, I, I will tell you, a lot of times the work can be reshimmed for a whole lot less than having new work done. You, you, of course, don't have a warranty, but it's a lot cheaper to get it adjusted than it is to put new piers in. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Jim, I appreciate your time. You bet, Mike. Take care. And just to finish up on, on what we were talking about as far as foundation contractors, it is an unregulated industry. Anybody can go into the foundation repair business, don't have to have any experience, nothing. And it is a structural change to your home. Now, I worked a few years ago to try to get it regulated, get it licensed, because uh, because of just this type of situation where houses get messed up and different things like that, companies uh, coming and going without any recourse on them. Uh, I got shot down. But that doesn't mean it's, it's right. Uh, I, I still feel that there needs to be some regulations because th this is something that really affects typically the biggest investment most people have. It's their homes.
Dan, uh, since we're talking about those ductless systems, that's a technology a lot of people here think is new technology, but it's been used in Europe for years already. It is. It's actually uh, almost older than our tech, or as old as our tech, uh, conventional technology. Uh, I've traveled to Europe just this year, and it's it's the dominant type of system over there. And of course, that's all they use in, in on the Asian continent is these types of systems. But and they did this years ago because of the inverter technology and the energy efficient and the comfort these units provide. Well, and the beautiful part is when you when you're using the different uh, wall mount uh, units like that, unlike with a conventional system where you got to keep the whole structure being air-conditioned all the time, this does give you the ability to choke down into just certain portions and adjust temperature in different portions. Right. As your last caller mentioned, I think he said he had six indoor units and two outdoor units. So you can set those different units at different temperatures, and they are uh, variable refrigerant flow units. So it's only going to use the part of the part that you've got the thermostat set on. So you, you could only be cooling one room with one unit and have the other five inoperable if you choose to do so. Just all around a great way to, to do it. Now, you know, one of the questions we talked about a little bit earlier has, has uh, had to do with uh, redoing a fence, the pressure washing. And I, I made sure to be cautious with you as far as don't use too much pressure. But this is the time of year a lot of people are cleaning their fences, cleaning the decks, using it uh, to clean the side of the house, uh, concrete walkways and driveways and things like that. It is totally fine to use a pressure washer, and it really doesn't matter what the PSI of that pressure washer is. For most jobs, if you're doing the side of the house or a fence or something like that, 1,500 PSI is plenty. And even at that, on some of the wood, you got to be careful. You can use the 4,500 PSI pressure washer. That just means you got to back up a little bit further from it. Now, granted, on concrete, a lot of times you want to use a, a little bit higher pressure than you do on wood. But even on concrete, you got to be careful because if you're using too high a pressure and you get too close to it, you will start peeling off the surface. If you're going to do a driveway or concrete patio or walkways anything like that they actually make an attachment for the pressure washers especially for the higher psi ones that has a spinning head on it it kind of looks like a floor polisher that hooks up to your pressure washer and you're able to just go around and swing that thing around and it spins and cleans it evenly because what you'll find on a lot of times on concrete when you're using just a regular wand if you get up and down, you know, in other words, too far away and then too close, you're leaving streaks on the concrete. And if you want to avoid that, you get one of those apparatuses that you can just hook your machine up to and swing it back and forth. They're not that expensive. The unfortunate part is how often do you need to pressure wash your driveway? You know, maybe once every so many years. So it's not one of those things that would get used an awful lot, but it is available. If you pressure wash your fence a deck, anything like that that's wood, and you're going to restain it, let it dry first. In other words, you can pressure wash it today, 
but don't think you're going to be putting any of the stain and stuff on until at least tomorrow. It has to dry out before you put the stain on. Otherwise, again, you won't get an even disbursement of the stain, and it's just it's going to look kind of splotchy on you. And when you do this, the stain, use a stain and sealer. That way you can do everything in one coat. Uh, I mentioned a little earlier the Olympic. One of the reasons uh, that's just one of the brands. There's several of them out there, uh, but one of the reasons I like using those type of products where it's all in one, you can literally put it into a pressure washer. A Ready Seal is another brand that's out there, but uh, you can put them into a pump-up sprayer and literally spray it onto the fence and let it soak in. You don't necessarily have to apply it with brushes and everything. So that's just a, makes it a little easier to get the projects done. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 